good to see everyone tonight. We're going to be picking up back in James chapter 3 where we left off last week. We had just finished up, I believe, verse 8, talking about the tongue and its power and saying how it's not something that can be tamed. Now, what did we say in reference to the tongue not being able to be tamed? Did we say that that, what did we say that that meant exactly? It's just not something you can ever work on, so you just leave it alone? Is that what we said it was? All right, so what did we say in reference to this idea of taming? What did we say the tongue can never be what? Anyone remember the word we used? What was it? Sorry, what now? Brattled? That's a good word for it. We said it's never going to be harmless. It's never going to be harmless. See, when we talk about the idea of taming, I can take a wolf and turn it into a dog over time. In fact, you go online today, you see a lot of different dog breeds that look exactly like wolves. They were bred to look like that. But there was a lot more training that went into that. They took the most docile and they bred that and they took the most docile of that pair and bred that to the point where now they have a tamed animal. The tongue can never be that. The tongue is never going to be something that is 100% harmless and it will never do anything wrong. And so we were talking about how James is addressing this again because who is his audience? We try to bring this up constantly so we remember. Who's the audience of the book of James? The 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Jewish Christians, specifically in that sense, that were scattered due to what? Persecution. They were scattered due to persecution. Remember, we talked about this period of history. The church was not only looked at as negative, but it was to the point where they were persecuting them. They were putting them in prison. They were executing them. They were scattering them abroad. If you were to find out today that Cookville, Tennessee was so hostile to the church that it was burning buildings, taking Bibles and burning those. It was putting Christians in prison. It was executing them. How many of you are looking for a new place to live? You're finding a new place to go. We say, you know, California doesn't sound that bad actually now. (laughs) But that's where our minds would go. We're trying to find somewhere else to go aside from that dangerous place. And that's what these Jewish Christians were doing. They understood there's a danger where I'm living now. Most of them were from the area of Israel. And if there was a hostile region Israel was the most hostile. Because remember, you not only have the Roman government, which is persecuting the church, but who else was persecuting the church? The Jewish leaders. Those who were Pharisees. Those who were in power. They were taking Christians and they were persecuting them as well. In fact, when we read the book of Acts, specifically in chapter 17, who was it that pursued Paul? Was it the Romans? Were the the Romans the one that pursued him? From or all the way from Berea or Thessalonica to Berea? No, it was the Jews. It was the Jews of that city. They followed after Paul trying to stamp this out. So it wasn't just the Romans they were dealing with, but it was also that of the Jews. Now, I know what many of you are probably thinking. What on earth is that doing on the screen? <laughs> what on earth is that picture doing on the screen? Well, we've been talking about the danger of the tongue, but could someone read verse 10, please? of James chapter 3. That's James chapter 3, verse 10. Well, excuse me, start in verse 9. Sorry about that. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. All right, so what does that sound like we're dealing with now? 
We've transitioned from the poison of the tongue, harsh, evil things, but we transitioned to a specific use of the tongue. What do you think we're discussing here? Double-tongued. That's exactly the word I have up here, too. Double-tongued. Some might use the word hypocrisy or fake talk, but that's exactly what this is. I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here. On one side, I'm blessing people. And on the other hand, what does it say? They're cursing people. He says, brethren, this ought not so to be. In fact, in verse 11, he describes, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives and grapevine bear, produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. He's saying the type of tongue, the type of mouth that is going to spit forth both good and evil things really tells you a lot about that person. It tells you about the character of that person. How many of you have heard the statement that it's not going to be long before you find out who somebody is by how they talk? It's not going to take long. You can find out pretty quickly who's a backbiter. You can find out pretty quickly who is a complainer. The reason being, if and here's a little rule of thumb that from a 22-year-old, 22-year-old, little tip from here that everyone probably knows. But if someone is backbiting to you, they're probably backbiting about you. You're on the same playing field there. No one is exempt from that. If that is someone's character, that is how they treat every situation they don't like. If they don't like how you act about something, they're going to talk about you to someone else. Now, some might say, well, what if it's just we're discussing something? Well, we're not talking about that specifically because is there not a matter where, I guess the best way of describing it would be mindset or attitude matters. What is a backbiter trying to do? What is the purpose of a backbiter? Make themselves look better. Maybe it's making themselves look better. There's probably maybe an insecurity or something that is that they're trying to make feel better by bringing someone else down. There also might be the level of I'm trying to bring them down to get ahead somehow. It's not always just because they lack something in that sense. It also might be I'm trying to get ahead. Or it might be I'm trying to stop what you're doing. Remember what we read in the, I believe it was the Beatitudes a few weeks ago, where at the latter part of that, Jesus says, blessed when men shall speak evil of you, what? falsely for my name's sake. We're to be considered blessed or happy because the world's going to try to stop what God does. The world's going to hate what God has to say. But he says, you're blessed when men are speaking evil of you falsely for my name's sake. Again, kind of going along with this same idea. There's going to be people who say evil things about good people to bring them down or to stop them. So now, what are we trying to discuss here? And we're going to go into a deeper study on this is the idea of hypocrisy and dealing with hypocrisy. Being double-tongued oftentimes comes with it the characteristic of being a hypocrite. If I say, thing, or say something one way about a person, well, let, let's give an example. If I go up and say, you know, this person is just, he's my best friend, you know, we've known each other for years, and you're in a conversation, maybe that person is there with you, and that person walks off and they say, that guy's a scumbag. He is awful. He just treats everybody terribly. You probably look at that person and be like, 
I feel like I gotta take everything you say with a grain of salt now. Because <laughs> when that person was there, you were bringing them up. You were saying how great they were. But the second that person left, you're a totally different person. You have a totally different mindset behind this. So hypocrisy is something that is dealt with consistently throughout the scriptures. The reality is we see in our world today how many people like to attack Christianity by using this word. Hypocrisy. It's just hypocrites. Just a bunch of hypocrites. There's a reason why that statement has so much weight. There's a reason why that's a go-to argument. Because if we are hypocrites, friends, we are at the exact opposite of Christ. And they know that. They know that. They say, okay, God was over here talking about how great his message is and how he needs to spread it to the four corners of the world, but you don't even live it. You don't even talk the way he tells you to. You don't act the way he tells you to. That is a painfully descriptive attack on the church. For them to claim hypocrisy, first of all, they better back it up. They better say that that, there's a reason why I'm saying this, else it's just an empty argument. It's an empty attack. But it's a very dangerous thing for the church if they're right. It is a very dangerous thing for a Christian if that statement is true. Now, why do you say that, Josh? Well, we're going to go into this deep study, and I hope people can read that. I tried to bring up the font a little more, but there's a lot of writing on that screen. The word hypocrisy, the description or the Merriam-Webster's definition of this says a feigning to be what one is not or to believe what one does not. Behavior that contradicts what one claims to believe or feel, the false assumption of an appearance or virtue or religion. The Greek word hypocrisis, playing a part on the stage pretending to be something one is not. The word literally that we use today as hypocrisy is not one that the ancient Greeks had. It is a word that came about around the 13, 12 to 1300s, and the word was taking a Greek word that had been used in Latin as well, which carried the idea of an actor. So it was an English way of attacking someone saying, you're just an actor. You're pretending to be one way, but you're not that person. You're pretending to be this, but you're not. Now, I I also found it interesting the fact that that came up in that period of time, considering the fact that around that period of time, you had the Black Death that came into Europe. And the Black Death, when it came about, it killed 90% of Catholic priests. Around 90%, estimated. And the reason for that was because as a Catholic priest, one of the roles that you had was to give last rites to those who were dying. Well, if the Black Death is around and you're giving last rites to the person who has the Black Death, it's very likely you're going to catch the Black Death. So as a result of that, 90% of the priesthood has been removed. Now they start to get a whole bunch of people that fill this role that really don't know much of the Catholic doctrine and really aren't qualified to fill that role, even under their tenets. And so as a result of that, you have a lot of Catholic priests who really are not living up to what even they were mandated to do, and we can even find so many holes in that doctrine and the problems with that. But at this period of time, you also see stuff start to come about, which would have been subjects such as being able to pay for your sins, being able to be absolved in obscure ways. All these things began to come about. And around this period of time as well, this section of history, you also have the Reformation that begins to take place around the 1500s, 
it took them a couple hundred years to realize this is messed up <laughs> and to say this needs to change, this needs to be fixed. And so as a result of this, we see a lot of changes begin to take place, a lot of calling out of the Catholic, Catholic hierarchy in Europe at this time. But this word was used to describe just an actor. You're pretending to be something you're not. You're pretending to be this righteous person when you're as far away from that as possible. Now, this word is brought up consistently in the scriptures, and if we want to find a group of people that God has adamantly condemned over and over and over and over again, in all honesty, when you read about this word and this description, it honestly sounds like a politician trying to disown something that's been tried to attach to them. He's saying again and again and again, I don't agree with this. I don't believe this is acceptable. In fact, we see this. There's a reason for this, though. God put an emphasis on being genuine because how do we describe God? How do we define Him? In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, He is the same all the time. Yesterday, today, and forever. He is the exact same God that spoke to Moses. He is the exact same God that spoke to Abraham. He is the exact same God that spoke to the disciples. He's the same God that prophesied in the book of Revelation. He is the exact same God from day one till now. And he was the same God even before day one. So it's important for God, if we're trying to be imitators of God, which is what that word Christian means, we're imitators of Christ, disciples of Christ, genuineness should be one of the main tenets, one of the main descriptors of who we are. Now, people can be genuinely downright awful. People can be that way. So it's not just genuineness in of itself, but it's genuine goodness, genuine righteousness, genuinely trying to follow after God. And so God emphasizes this consistently throughout Scripture, trying to show us that this is what He wants you and I to be as well. Not just Christians in name only. Anyone can be a Christian in name only. Anyone could just be baptized and become a Christian, quote-unquote, just to get the better result in the end, but not actually believe in God. Anyone could do that, if that's what God taught. But the reality is, God says, I want you to be genuine people. I want you to be people who not only accept what I say, who not only obey what I say, but you believe what I say. So you're matching all of these things. There is what I think about. What I think is important. What I believe is important. In fact, we see in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16 in particular, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, he that believeth not shall be damned. That's specifically verse 16. So why would he say believeth? Well, it's important what you believe. If I don't believe that God is exactly who he said he was, if I don't believe that he's told me the truth, then what does it matter what I do? I can do all these things. But imagine, imagine the heart of somebody who says, yeah, I'm being baptized, but you know what? It's just kind of a guess. It might be true. It might not be. You know, I'm just covering bases here. It'd be one of those situations like, I think we need to talk a little more. <laughs> I think we need to discuss some things first. See, it's not just about the things that we do. It's also about what we believe. But it's also not just what we believe. It's what we do. <laughs> those things go hand in hand. If I believe God to be true, but I don't do what he says, I'm still proving myself to be an enemy of God. I'm still proving I'm not going to do what you say, even though I believe you are right. 
Think about the heart that's behind that. I heard the other day someone say, even if God came down from heaven, stood right in front of me, proved everything that the Bible said was true, performed a miracle to prove what he said was true, I still wouldn't worship him. That's one of those, okay, okay. See, a lot of times we get this unfortunately untrue mindset where we say, if people just knew they would follow God. Friends, the reality is if most people found out who God actually was, fewer people would want his name attached to them. That's the reality. A lot of people want the name of Christ attached to them because it sounds good. Because what does Christ mean? Christ means he's loving, he's compassionate, he's accepting of all people. But when they find out God is just, God is virtuous, and God can be very, very scary to be against, they don't want the name anymore. They don't want that attached to them. You see, it is important that we, yes, understand what God says, but just understanding it is not enough. There also comes action attached to that. That's why God didn't say he just wants us to be believers. He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be faithful people, committed to him. Even though I know there's problems, even though I know there's difficulties in the world, even though I know being a member of the church can lose me some opportunities, I still will follow him. I'm still committed. So hypocrisy is important because we're going to face difficulties for our faith. And the last thing that a hypocrite can have is his mask when it comes down to those difficult moments. A hypocrite is the person who, when the moment comes that they have to stand, they have to make a stand for what they believe in, they have to tell someone that they're wrong, that's the last thing they do. I heard a guy describe on one occasion that a hypocrite is to the church what a deserter is to the army. And that's a pretty good description. In the moment, they're wearing the uniform. They look like they're doing what's right. They look like they're on the same team. But the second that push comes to shove, they're finding the back door. They're trying to find a way out. This isn't comfortable anymore. This isn't fun anymore. This isn't what I wanted anymore. Unfortunately, that describes a lot of people. There was a friend of mine I knew from up north, and he came down and said one of the things he hates the most about the South is Southern hospitality. And I was like, okay, I've growing up in the South, I've always heard that that's nice. Like, what's the problem with Southern hospitality? He said, up north, you never question what someone thinks about you. He said, you never have a doubt in your mind how someone feels about you. He said, when you come down here, people are being nice to you, asking about your day, when you know they don't care about your day. You know they don't want to know anything about you. We're on a subway. I'm not worried about your day. But friends, as Christians... How we live is not the same thing as just a cultural way of being. People talk about Christians in a positive way sometimes purely because we're nice people. We're just good to people, and that's what's nice. The reality is, friends, we should be people who the world understands are trying to be good, who are following after the Word of God. But if we're loved by everyone, that probably should be a reality check for us. We probably should be looking at ourselves and saying, what am I doing wrong? Because if I'm living out the entire gospel of God, if I'm following exactly what God has to say, either one of two things is happening. Either A, 
America is a wonderful, righteous nation who's always doing what's right and they're going to support you because you're trying to do what's right or I'm not living out my faith fully because someone is going to hate you for standing for the truth. The reality is there's some people who name the name of Christian who will hate you for following the gospel. This is a very important thing. Because imagine what happened what happened to his disciples if they always tried to hide. What do we read about Peter when he was just trying to get along with people at the uh, at the crucifixion? We hear about him being a hypocrite. He said, "Lord, I will die for you." So much so he even drew his sword and took the ear off of somebody and I promise you he wasn't aiming for the ear. But the second that he had that taken away from him, The second he still had to stand with his God, even though he's up on a judgment seat, he cursed, he lied, and he ran. The Apostle Peter. In that moment, Peter was a hypocrite. Why do you think it was the case that when Jesus looked at him, all those words that Jesus had said before, that before the cock crows, you will deny me three times, all those thoughts came rushing back to his mind. He made eye contact with Christ, seeing what was taking place, and he said, I told you I would die for you, but I'm not even willing to tell the truth for you. I'm not even willing to stand in the same room while you face judgment. I'm not even facing judgment right now. Now, we know that Peter made that right. Peter changed, and according to even tradition, he was even crucified for his faith. So we know he changed, but it is important that we live out our faith the way we teach it, practicing what we preach. Any questions or comments at this point before we move on? Uh, I have one thing to say is distinguishing, like you say, between hypocrisy and one that might be weak and fall short. Uh, I guess it needs to be thought of. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up too because that's slide three. <laughs> but that's that's a great point to bring about. When we're discussing hypocrisy, and I'll go ahead and do the preview. We don't have to hit this exactly right now, but hypocrisy is not a failure to live up. There's a difference in those two things. I will make mistakes. I'm not always going to be the perfect Christian. I'm not always going to say the way or say things the way I should. I'm not always going to act the way I should. But there's a difference between someone who makes a mistake and keeps going and a person never believed it in the first place. There's a difference in those two things. Hypocrisy is more of a way of life than it is mistakes that are made. Go ahead. Oftentimes, it's just the feigning or pretending to be, and often those kind of people, they want to look the best, and they don't humble themselves. They don't repent. They want to make look good. Just like Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to look good. They want to progress themselves and look good before everybody, but yet they held back part of the money. Absolutely. And that's a great example of Ananias and Sapphira describing what a hypocrite is. What was their motivation behind selling the land? What was the reason they sold the land? We read of their thought process. What was the reason they sold the land? They liked how other people were being treated because they sold their land. And they gave everything to the church to try to say, hey, just help the poor, help those who are in need. I'm doing everything for them. Now, the difference in the people who were doing that and Ananias and Sapphira was those people were giving because they wanted to help. 
They were doing everything because they genuinely wanted to help people. It wasn't about them. The pats on the back was an added bonus, not the motivation. Ananias and Sapphira, the pats on the back were the entire motivation for what they were doing. They wanted to be lifted up like these other people were and to be looked at as great Christians. And as a result, that land got given to someone else. (laughs) That money got given to someone else. It wasn't for them anymore. They wanted to have both worlds. They wanted to be, I wanted to still be wealthy and have the benefits of my own property, but I also want to be pat on the back. Would there have been anything wrong with Ananias and Sapphira selling half of their land or selling their land and giving half of the money to the church and keeping half of it? Would there have been anything wrong with that? No. And people still probably would have pat them on the back and said, hey, thank you so much for this. We're so appreciative. Let's use this to help people. There would have been no problem in the world with that. The problem was they wanted a specific type of praise that they weren't willing to sacrifice to get. A lot of people want the recognition and the benefits of serving God, but they're not willing to make the sacrifices to actually receive it justly. That's the difference we're facing here. Hypocrisy is a lifestyle of I'm living separate from God, but still claiming to follow him. I heard a preacher on one time describe it this way, and he's actually uh, not much older than me, and so the fact that we have stories about this tells me those who are older have way more than we do. But he described them as the Sunday morning Christians. They're the ones that show up, they look great, they shake everybody's hand, they sit down, they worship, and then you never hear from them the rest of the week except for maybe some bad things to surface. He said there's a difference in that kind of person and the person who can only make one service. There's a difference in those two kinds of people. That's a good way, I think, of illustrating that point. One is saying, I know I can only be here for one service, and I'm trying my best to be here because I want to learn about God. I want to worship Him. I want to be with my brethren. And the person who says, I have to be there for at least one service. There's a difference in those two. And so hypocrisy is constantly condemned by God. In fact, in Proverbs In the book of Proverbs, we read of the seven things that God hates. What's one of the seven things that God hates? A lying what? Tongue. Is a hypocrite not a liar? Those two things go hand in hand. I can't play a part without saying something that's not me. The funny thing about it, I heard someone uh, discussing this in reference to plays and things, he was trying to compare these two thoughts. When a person gets up and performs, and they say, my name is X, technically, that's a lie. But they're playing a part. They're playing a role. And in that moment, that's who they are. I'm performing as though I am King Henry, or I am Macbeth, or I am someone else. I'm performing that role. He said the most dangerous thing is when someone is performing in their day-to-day life. One of my instructors at Memphis was describing how he was going to services one night, and his son was in the back, and they were arguing, and he was getting upset, and he was getting on to his son, and he had turned around, and he had shouted at this kid, and he turns back, and there's a lady from the church standing right outside the window. And he said, he rolled down the window and he said, I've just been yelling at my son. And then I say, hi, sister. From the back seat, daddy's a hypocrite. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes, right? 
Who we are on the outside should be who we are on the inside. There should be no difference between the two. God constantly emphasizes this point. Now, moving on to our second point here, our second section here. Christians strive to imitate Christ, so genuineness is necessary. If we are going to try to be like Christ, we have to be genuine people. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. It's Matthew chapter 5. If someone could pick up verse 37, please. All right, so Jesus describing here on the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. The subject that he's talking about is taking of oaths. If I'm taking an oath, then they were at this time, if you took an oath in the name of God and you broke it, that was culturally looked at and, in fact, biblically and morally looked at as a really terrible thing. So what people were doing in this day and age is they said, well, I'm not going to swear on God's name, but I will swear on the temple. Or I will swear on some, uh, I will swear on my family or something like that, something that's less holy, so when I break my word, it's not as bad. And Jesus is saying, your word should be so good that when you say yes, that's enough. When you say no, that's enough. You don't have to swear on something in order to give your word more weight. You ever met people who you say, they, they'll make a statement to you, they'll say, uh, I did this or I'm doing this, and you say, did you really? Did you, did you really do what you say you did? Yeah, yeah, I did what you said to, to, or what you told me to do. Did you really do what I told you to do? Yeah, yeah, I promise, I promise I did it. I swear I did it. <laughs> See what the problem is? They're having to add something else to their word because probably there's some history behind that. There's a reason why that person, you're having to question what they did. As Christians, that should not be us. When we get up and we talk about the word of God or when we tell someone about the life that we're living or when we make a commitment to somebody, then we should follow through. Or at least we should let people know when the plans change slightly. <laughs> we should be people of our word. What we say matters. When I tell someone that they are a great person or we're really proud of them, I should mean it. When I tell someone that something good about their life or something that they've done or praise them for something, I should mean it. Every time we open our mouths, we should be making sure that what we say actually is true. When I talk about someone else, is it true? When I'm giving information to somebody, is it true? Friends, people can get a lie from turning on the evening news. It shouldn't be coming out of our mouths. People can get hypocrisy from looking anywhere in the world. It shouldn't come from the church building. We should be people who are actually who we are. It's not a mask. It's not clothes we put on and take off throughout the rest of the week. This is who we are. 
I promise you right now, I am not a perfect person. I think everyone in this room could say the same thing. I'll make mistakes. You'll make mistakes. We'll all make mistakes. The difference is, are we faithful? Do we own up to it? When I make a mistake, do I say, yep, that was my fault. I'm sorry, I was wrong. And then actually try to change it. There's a difference in these things. Now, we've got two minutes left. So any co- more comments or questions? Anything that anyone wants to bring up? Go ahead. Absolutely. And one other thing that uh, was brought up Sunday morning is that eventually sin can control you. There's a difference between lying and a liar. There's a difference between someone who wasn't honest in a moment and a hypocrite. There's momentary lapses of judgment, momentary mistakes that people make. Peter was not one who was just wanting to be an enemy of God, but in a moment of weakness, he rejected him. He allowed the outward state, the outward conditions to determine who he was. Really, that's the best way of describing a hypocrite in that sense. Someone whose outward outward experiences or outward circumstances determine who they are. If I'm at work, I'm going to act like the people at work. When I'm at church, I act like the people at church. When people are in my home, I'm one way. When my kids are there, I'm a totally different way. Those things shouldn't be true of a Christian. If a kid can see through a mask, everyone can see through a mask. You can fool someone for the short term. Anyone can be fooled for the short term. But it's not going to last forever. And with that, we're going to end, and we'll pick up there next week. Thank you so much for your attention.